Good Evans, it's the Bobcast. Welcome to episode 27. My name is Bob Evans, I'll be your host. Uh, my real name is Kevin Mitchell, you probably already know that if you've been listening to the podcast previously. If not, welcome. Hi, please come on in and make yourselves at home. Thank you to everybody who uh, listened to the last episode, 26, with Paul Dempsey. I had a massive break between, well, it was the first one I've done this year after going all year without doing any podcasts. So uh, thank you for everyone who returned. I wasn't quite sure if anybody would, but the response to the Paul Dempsey uh, podcast was fantastic. So thanks for that. Um, Also, too, I just want to quickly plug some stuff of mine. I'm putting out a record called Full Circle on October the 5th. It's not and a brand new album, although it does have one new song on it. It's a collection of my greatest hits. Not Well, I don't really have any hits. It's a collection of songs that I've released over the last uh, five albums. An introduction to Bob Evans is kind of how I'm thinking of it. And I'll be touring in support of that. And here's where I'll be. On October the 19th, I'll be at the Black Bear Lodge in Brisbane. On October the 20th, I'll be at Lead Belly in Sydney. On October the 26th, I'll be at the Gov in Adelaide. On October the 27th, I'll be at the Rosemount Hotel in Perth. And on November the 3rd, finishing off at the Northcote Social Club in Melbourne. Please come along. You can get tickets from bobevans.com.au. I think that's my website. (laughs) You could tell how unsure I was. Also, too, Spotify. If you use Spotify, there's a a Good Evans, it's a Bobcast soundtrack playlist where all the songs from episode one right through to now uh, that my guests have talked about are on that list. So it's a weird and wonderful and wacky ride. I do encourage you to investigate that if that sounds like something you might like. All right. Uh, episode 27. My guest for this episode is one of my favourite people, Mr. Tim Rogers of UMI, uh, but also he's made a bunch of solo records. He's done all sorts of stuff. I've known Tim since I was, I think I was 18 when Jebediah first supported Tim and his band UMI. Um, I was going to see UMI all ages shows in Perth. Any chance that I got, any time they came to Perth, I would go and was a massive, became very quickly a massive UMI fan. And so it was incredible to support them all those years back in 1996 and then to continue to play, to, you know, go on tours with them and play festivals. And, um, and yeah, here we are, you know, more than 20 years later and um, maintained a, a friendship that I'm really, uh, you know, that I'm really grateful for, that I really love. I think it's an incredible thing to happen in life if not only do, if you get to sort of, you know, meet your, your hero, your, your heroes, or your people that you look up to, but also form friendship with them as well. Um, it's an incredible gift that I'm inc- incredibly grateful for. I'm also grateful that Tim agreed to come on my shitty, stupid little podcast. <laughs> um, but he did, and we got a six-pack of beer, and we had a good old chat. Let's listen to it, shall we? Um, also, too, I should mention that uh, there are swear words and there are drug references. So if the swearing words and the drug talk is something that you're not really into probably skip this podcast also tim is on tour at the moment he's doing a solo tour called the endless cycle of maintenance national tour and he's playing uh all over the eastern side of australia uh right now Uh, so go to his website timrogersmusic.net for all the tickets and info for that also too one other thing i must mention is that towards the end of our conversation my little recording device stopped working uh which i didn't realize until 
I got home and listened back. It just cuts out. But the good news is it happened like right at the end of our chat. We only talked for about 10 more minutes after that. Um, so it hasn't really impacted on, on the podcast. It's still the same length or if not longer than most of them are. So um, it doesn't really impact on anything, but it does explain if you get to the end why it does sort of cut off a little bit abruptly um, at the end there. But uh, yes, just letting you know. Let's get into it, shall we? This is episode 27 of Good Evans, It's a Bobcast. Got asked to be involved in an ABC program a couple of months ago uh, about homelessness, and they said, um, "Would would you go on the streets for uh, I think it's a week?" Yeah, what's that one called again? It's quite a good show. The one that's called "Filthy Rich and Homeless." I don't quite see how the the rich rich part. Goes. So I, <laughs> I'm wondering if that's the same thing because um, yeah. I didn't find out who else was going to be involved. Yeah, and I think right, I'm a bit of a hand washer and with the the um, not getting any sustenance either through booze or anything I reckon it 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 kind of affected me yeah, far yeah. more than I wanted to believe yeah, because yeah. I wanted to think you know hey we're on the road man yeah 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 <laughs> yeah. <that. laughs> yeah how like how long did I have to have to the experiment last like a week I think it was about a week yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, this new mantra I've got to, you know, do something that scares you once a day. Mm. Once a day? Yeah, which is stretching to one day, <laughs> three or four days. And yeah, mine's once a year. <laughs> it's good. It's a start. It, it, it's a derivation from, you know, be kind to yourself and mindfulness. No, it's just going to be scare yourself once in a while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and a recent one was riding a motorbike on Springvale Road at rush hour. And that was genuinely scary. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but with the, the homeless thing, I thought, well, good. I was anxious, and then it didn't work out because of scheduling. Ah, okay. Well, speaking of your, you know, this mantra of doing something that scares you, I, I mean, I love that because it can be so easy otherwise to just kind of not just keep doing what you know all the time and never kind of learning anything by never sort of putting yourself out there. And I had a similar experience last year by accepting a gig, which relates to you. Because I saw the White Album concert for the first time. When was that? Like just a few, it was like a month ago, maybe longer. Um, well, you saw the, that last one? Yeah, the one just recently. Well, yeah. That was good. Yeah, it was great. It was, great. A, lot, it was a lot better than the other ones. Okay, yeah, well, I was going to ask um, how it compared to, because it, it's like a third, third time done. Each, each time we've done it, we've, uh, we've said never again. And yeah. the first time we got tattoos. Together. Yes, I know they got show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was our way of saying never again. Mm. And after a couple of years, it's the only time I see Josh, for example. Um, Chris and I feel more in each other's pockets. But I thought, I'd like to hang out with that guy for a month. Yeah. 
it's a job. I kind of go into the with that tour, going to Uncle Tim mode, um, yeah. and I, re, I requested restructuring a whole bunch of things, and, and because uh, I figure that's that's how I can slot in there. Was uh, the was the thing that you did at the end where the four of you just played without the band? Was that new? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I had a feeling. I, for this tour, I said to, I asked Chris and Phil and Josh first, and then said to the, the organisers, "said If we don't do this, I'm not going to be involved." It was yeah. like with, last time I said, "If we don't represent Revolution Number no. Nine live, then I'm not doing it." I would have done it, but it's yeah. I've got to do that once a, yeah. a tour. Now your involvement, though, what are you? All oh, right, so yeah, because last year they did one. Same people put on one called the Beatles' First Five. Mm. and asked me to be involved and this, I mean for starters like I've always been because the, that White Album one that you guys were involved in kind of feels like that was the, the first and the most successful and anything else that comes after that feels like like it could fall into the category of cheap imitation and so that's you know was my first kind of fear with that with those kind of things but secondly too like I did it with I ended up saying yes to it of course um, I ended up doing it with uh, Wes Carr, Jack Jones, and a guy named Kieran Gruden, who, uh, among other things, he did a stint as uh, doing oh, vocals for in excess. Yeah, I spoke to right Kieran at the end months ago. Mm. Um, all lovely, lovely guys, but all proper fucking singers, yeah, you know? like real singers. And I, I just don't put myself in that category. At I all. hate real singers. <laughs> I mean, and it's not necessarily, and I and I freely say that not because. Not because I have necessarily have a problem with not being a real singer, but just because it's just the truth. I yeah. mean, it's just a fact. Um, yeah. But anyway, so, you know, there were quite a few things. And then also, too, one of the other things kind of pulling me away from it was um, I only own Beatles records from Hell Bombers. Right. So those first four, I, don't even, I didn't even own the records, and I've never bothered to get them because I was thought, well, when am I going to listen to it? You know what? Well, I don't need those records. I mean, uh, and so I, I had sort of become a bit of a late-era Beatles kind of snob in that way. But I ended up saying yes to it mainly because it was like, no, I've got to... I can't just... It's safe to say that. Yeah. Like, just to avoid it because I think, oh, uh, you know, I don't have the familiarity with the material. I don't feel like my singing's... I'm going to be like the fourth wheel, you know. <laughs> but ended up doing it. And it was great. It was really, really good. And I also, you know, gained such an appreciation for... A lot of those early songs that I didn't know. They're really good records. I mean, yeah, I, the energy of those records mm, and the, yeah. the, 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 the performances is just amazing. Performances, are, I think that's so, Josh, like, and you hear the little clunky things Yes. that well, they're not necessarily mistakes, but just the little clunky things where the enthusiasm takes over the, the mm-hmm. regard, which I'm always a big fan of. Uh, I got into those records through, well, firstly through... Russell Hopkinson saying that he, he's never liked the Beatles and I, I, thought, <laughs> I thought that was a stance but now yeah. I really respect it. Or I, I always respect so it. So he's sincere. He does yeah, completely sincere. Never like <laughs> and, his, and his wife said, point back, but I don't like the Beatles. And, but he's able to give examples. Yeah. He's like, I prefer the big three and if the big three were a band uh, almost like a precursor or the, around a similar time right. to the Beatles or the Searchers or, right. or then, but then Russ's knowledge goes yes. uh, 360 and mine goes about 5%. Yeah. I got into those records through a, band, a Scottish band called the Kaisers, who, again, refu- they're contemporary. Uh, well, they started about 1990, I think, uh, but they 
don't refuse to acknowledge the Beatles, but they'll say, well, no, you've got to hear the girls, or you've got yeah. to hear this, or you, I don't know why I'm doing that in Liverpool. They're, they're Scottish. <laughs> better than one. But, um, and I thought, well, okay, I'm going to compare now the Beatleman records to, to other bands at that time, particularly the big three, who did a record called Live at the Cavern Club, which is so exciting. And yeah. it kind of craps all over the Beatles around wow. that time, yeah. in, in my humble opinion. Yeah. But also through Davey, of course, because although he you need to drag this information out he yeah. knows that stuff back to front really? front. <laughs> and we're at four in the morning in Geraldton. what are you going to do and mm. turn to Davey and say what do you think about please please me the uh American version and yeah, he'll right. feign indifference but then <laughs> he'll come around and be able to quote just the, the sort of goofiness and that they did show change and they did change yeah. from sound of music and, and and put them to a rock and roll context. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it because yeah. there's a lot to with um, even with the white album thing. It was presented to us so straight, and I thought, well, this is one of the for a very very popular band. This is a really bent record. There's straight elements to it. Mm. And I said, well, looking for some kind of lunatic fringe there, but I realised now that I was looking for that some kind of um, the lunatic fringe, for lack of a better term, because similarly, I mean. I, I've warmed up next to Josh Pike when he's, and that guy's such a singer. Yeah, yeah, he's got Chris a, and Phil similarly, and in different ways. But Phil's really his singing has improved and progressed, and so much. Like he's always had the strength to. I think his family used to sing a lot together. Yeah, it's maybe a bit of confidence. He's wanting to to spread his wings and yeah, to, yeah. to sing in different styles, and he can. He can. Yeah, he really can. The only thing I want to really as his mate, very good mate for a long while, push him is to to, to finish writing songs by himself. Yeah. And, to, and he, he doesn't like harmonising. No, this is the yeah, thing. So right. as, a, as a friend, you want to say, well, let's, if that's your discomfort zone, let's push each other there. Yeah, yeah. He told me that, um, and if you're listening, Phil, hi. He told me that, because uh, I said to him as well, like, oh, you know, why, because he said something about, always, you know, that he was writing and stuff. I said, well, why don't you? And make a record, you know? And he's like, oh, I can't be fucked doing all the promotion. <laughs> Which, I, you know, I can understand to a degree. I mean, it's not the most fun it's, part of that it. That is patently untrue. <laughs> he's good at it. He's, he's, he's really very charming and, yeah. and he's got that energy. Yeah. I may have said something similar just recently about <laughs> making records that, no, I can't, can't um, publicise. But really, if that's the hardest part of your job, yeah. then get a real job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, you're... You, lucky to get it because some, yes. if you don't want to do it there's thousands out there that who do. will yeah. um, but also seeing any any press element of it or promotion as as a challenge and an opportunity to kind of look what, what can I get out of this or, or sure if you're doing an interview with Waves FM you may get asked how were the 90s yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but you can say well the 1690s were a period of <laughs> post enlightenment um or like uh, you know, what's what's the what's the craziest thing that's ever happened on tour? I've been asked that question so many times. I still don't have an answer for it. Ask it. Well, answer it as as a different person. So, well, <laughs> when I was touring with Zapper in '73, <laughs> because if, if you get the feeling that, that the interlocutors doesn't know much about you, then I think you've got license to as yeah, yeah. respectfully, yeah, not, yeah. not to, to to make fun no. of them or, or to be completely facetious, but. Um, to take it in other directions. Yeah, yeah, I think if yeah. uh, you're watching Peter Sellers or um, 
Robin Williams or um, Phil Stilley used to do it quite well as well. Um, uh, Amy Sedaris, these performers who treat interviews like an opportunity for, to not only do it, but they're kind of advertising what they're doing by mm. being uh, really getting in the moment. Mm. I think an, in, an interviewer will stretch out forever if you exhibit boredom mm. with <laughs> it. And, uh, if it tickles your funny bone, and if and also if you do it with a spirit of generosity, yeah. I mean I've been in situations in the past couple of years with people um, asking questions, and I go, "Come on, be generous." And it's quite obvious they just have no regard for me at all. You know, what, what am I interviewing this fucking old hack? You know? <laughs> and you think, well, there's the challenge. I'm gonna, yeah, yeah. I know you don't like me or have any regard for me, but I'm, we're going to get out of this as as um, at, at very least respectful yeah, yeah. if not absolutely best friends yeah, yeah. <laughs> can we talk about um, your backstory sure oh, you grab my last name because um, you moved around you moved around a bit didn't you and you were growing up yeah not, not quite army brat style but because dad was in mining and then road machinery it was we were following him around so it was Kalgoorlie till seven then Perth for four years, Adelaide, uh, Northwestern Sydney. So it, it, it seemed a lot as at the time, but it was once every four years, every three years, every six years. It wasn't like every year he was posted yeah. to it. What I have noted, it, it, what it left me with was with an unshakable need to please everyone in the room and being really aware when something's not right. Mm. Because I guess if you, even if you go to a couple of different schools as you're growing up, you've got to um, negotiate your way out of trouble, getting mm. getting beat up, getting um, wanting company, yeah, yeah. alliances and yeah. allegiances. Was there music, a lot of music in your house, band? There was. Um, my my dad tried to crack on them. My mum, uh, it was the mid-60s, yeah. by telling her that he was a drummer. And mum, who was a, a bit of a wannabe mod in okay. Fern, uh, Preston, I think it was by then, uh, they lived opposite Pentridge Prison, and mum, oh, yeah. mum's uh, sort of um, leaning towards mod stylings, was wearing dark glasses at all opportunities. <laughs> now, that would have been like the outer suburbs back then, right? Yeah. I mean, it would have yeah. been considered. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I live in St Kilda, mate, it still is. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but Dad was a drummer in a military band. And <laughs> but anyway, he, um, he invited her to, to watch him uh, bowl leg spin for, for ball and cricket club, and, and he got a hat trick that day, apparently. So. <laughs> Dude, he didn't invite her to watch him uh, do his No, that, 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 that facade was, was seen through. Um, it, it really says so much about uh, what, what happened uh, subsequently. But they were... Both, both really good singers, but um, music was around. Uh, there were good records around, and they both when they were a bit, little bit pissy. The perennial conversation I remember was that they liked music that was real. Okay. Real. Yeah, yeah. It's got to be you know blues or, or yeah. country, and probably what they brought to us wasn't at the cold face of uh, buried treasure. It was um, at the popular end of that. Yeah. But. Both very good singers, sweet singers. They, they even used to harmonise, which is the only time they harmonised, I think. But wow. it went on long drives across the Nullarbor. Really? And it was, whether it was Eagles Records or 
J.J. Cale. Um, but nothing really like Beatles or the Stones or, or Bread or um, I guess maybe a bit of Fleetwood Mac. It was kind yeah. of um, what what parents listened to at yeah, that time. Yeah, yeah. Can you remember your? Did you have like a record player and one of those? Mm. Yeah, I can because I can remember you know in the first house that we only grew up in two different houses. Mm-hmm. The first house I remember was pre you know CDs and that kind of stuff and and. The, you know the the I'm well before the beers a brown so this is like late seventies going into early eighties the big brown you know record player which was the size of a small table and then you know the big speaker mm. set up in each corner of the room and, yeah. and then underneath you pulled out a little uh, little door and then you know you had all your records stored there yeah yeah that was the entire record did you have something like that yeah uh, dad I think he inherited it uh, from. I've really got to ask him about, but he had a stack of 45s of singles yeah. that went forever yeah. and it was I I wake up in sweats about it that I don't have that collection yeah. I think at a stage in his life he needed to sell it all off okay. but it was Little Richard oh, wow. Bill Haley um, Elvis of course um, Gene Vincent and it was just yeah. mind boggling and as a kid my brother, old brother and I used to listen to a bunch of singles, but we weren't quite voracious about it. It's a thing I've never told Chris Cheney because when he and I get together and we get talking about Eddie Cochran, about yeah. Jenkins, and, um, about Wanda Jackson, I, I know that I, I held all those records in my hand and they're, uh, not, they're not mine anymore. Yeah. Um, I don't listen to a hell of a lot of music. Yeah. Uh, and I chastise myself about it because there's so much great there. Yeah, yeah. And I... I Kind of have to remind myself because I, I, I walk in circles all day, and, and yeah. now that I don't, I'm not surrounded by people. I live alone, and we'll go for days without touching guitar, listening to records, yeah, yeah. And, and yet I've got a, I've got a really fucking great record collection yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. And so even this morning it happened, and uh, I was listening to uh, oh, some American Hardcore and Necros and, and um, New Day Rising, what else could do, and then. Uh, uh, Ima Sumak and, and one went in a different direction. But I could do this forever, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, listen to records. There's so much. There's, well, there's so much out there, but um, also the tactility of putting on records. Yeah. Stuff. But I guess that lasts me until the third coffee and the fifth cigarette, and then um, <laughs> I, I get I start getting nervous. Yeah. <laughs> thinking about the pub, so I've got to go you know, go and work. <laughs> I just got a. Um I, had, I was, went years without a record player, my album busted, and I just never sort of replaced it. And just recently, through just you know circumstances, um, the amplifier and speaker speakers in our sort of front room we didn't need anymore. So I was like, oh, well, oh, they can go in the garage where people want music stuff. And then when I had that, I was like, oh man, that's, this is a good time to buy a record player and start getting into records again, which I did. And now I'm just, I can see myself getting right into it again. It's like going buying vinyl all the time. Because my record collection is pretty shit. Mm-hmm. I reckon I probably own maybe, probably less than 100. I've got shitloads of CDs, typical yep. of probably of my age. Hmm. Um, but never been a big vinyl collector, but yeah, I'm definitely going to get right back into it again. It's having to remove yourself to the, to the player and, and yeah. uh, put a different song on. Um, setting the speed, mixing the, yeah, the, yeah. the belts along to put it to 45. Um, well, fuck, it sounds good, I mean, I was a, when, when I first put on the you know record after not listening to one for years, straight away I was just like, 
I think I, I called you after oh, yeah. you sent me a copy of Kosciuszko and it was the oh, yeah. on record. And it was just because I live in this very little apartment, so when I really whack things up, I, I'm not a, uh, I've got a lot of CDs, got, you know, cassettes, I, I stream things when I need to listen to things for work. And yeah. it's just a very physical, yeah. set from the the, um, the opening to the putting on to the listening. Yeah. Uh, it sounds very different. I yeah. can't give a proper representation of that. I just no. Listening to dub and reggae records on the yeah. Vinyl is immense. Yes. Then again, for uh, reggae stuff that I listen to in the car, I've only got a CD playing in the car, and it, still, if I put it up loud enough, it yeah. sounds fucking great. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the, 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 the word vinyl has become such a, um, with that kind of little uh, insouciant little thing of vinyl, yeah, I've got on vinyl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sets something my, my right shoulder goes yeah, up right. when I hear that. But but good on them. It's it's what I think. It's um, there's a fetishistic uh, element of it, and also it's it's pretty hip and like good. But the people who manufactured vinyl records, my uh, band on nearly in the draft. I just got their first EP back um, this week. And when you're speaking to people who manufacture it, you can go and see it being made, and that's mm. just a, it's a baffling process. Mm. Uh, and I appreciate and love uh, seeing the artistry of that and, and the art involved in making covers and, mm. and getting um, test pressings through. But I think it's, it's, a, it's a pursuit of quality, I hope. Mm. Yeah. It happened again last night, some Burke giving me crap for the way I was particularly dressed, but there were, <laughs> I think I had more neckerchiefs than, than, than stitches on, on, on my tush. But I, I tried to explain it to him as, as he was spitting on me as... <laughs> it's it's a pursuit of quality and uh, things of quality and and, um, and of permanence. You know, so much we have these days is impermanent, in, in and mm. uh, from the, the stitches that we clothe ourselves in. And, and what I'm not is I'm not advertising a style of life or a flippancy or a, a superiority. It's just mm. that I want things of permanence, yeah, right, yeah, of good yeah. quality. And, yeah. and I think that um, music presented in that form. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's part of your. Yeah, I do still view my. CD collection that way. I've mean, yeah. now got um, discs that um, survived marriage and, and that I've had for 30 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and they're neglected, they don't never get listened to anymore, unfortunately. But maybe your room where your music stuff is, that can be the listening room. Well, that's kind of what it's turned into. Yeah, vinyl's taken over, but my CDs, I still like to have, I like to see them. Yeah. I, don't, I don't pack them into boxes. But yeah, I think like I totally have, you know, really bought into just that convenience of, you know, having it on your phone, listening to music on your phone, you know, once that became available, and I was a big iPod fan, but they don't make those anymore, but yeah, once that convenience... They don't make them anymore? I don't think so. I don't think they make iPods anymore. No, because I think phones have become so powerful now that they can just like hold... I was... um on the plane going to the Writers Festival the other day and, and one of those moments where I looked around and had my little hip flask and and I was the only one without headphones on. And I yeah, thought, right. Mm. I, I can't tell, but I, I, I think I'm a musician and uh, surely I should be listening here, but I don't listen to music on planes and uh, yeah. I don't in the Trago. And I'm getting a little frustrated with... Uh, maybe it's a headphone thing, I'm not sure... I'm trying to be a little aware of time when this I'm not getting any information mm. 
and your tolerance as humans for not getting information. I really got it when my daughter was just in town for a month and and when I was with her and we'd be travelling and it was almost a statement to her and I just sat there and I, if I did, wasn't reading a book, um, I'd just sit and look out the window mm. uh, because it's rare to see if you see yeah, someone yeah. looking out a window or sitting them by themselves and, and twiddling their thumbs. Yeah. I'm pretty sure, oh, what's going on there? Yeah, yeah. And... Well, I know, I, actually, I, I don't think I just know for myself that I need that and time yeah. where there's no information coming on, just cognition going yeah. on. And if things start getting a little scary, as they tend to do when there's silence and, yeah. and uh, you're in free thought, then feed your beautiful, beautiful brain yeah. with something, whether it's audiovisual yeah. or literature or whatever it is. I was sent an awesome photo. It was a... The, Somebody had taken um, out the front of. Remember in Perth, um, Planet Nightclub in Perth. Yeah, Planet, yeah. So it's out the front of Planet Nightclub at a Jebelagi, probably in like '96 or '97. Wow. Um, and so it's out the front, and it's all these kids are hanging out, waiting to because um, waiting for doors to open, right? Yes. And it's a fucking remarkable picture because. There must be, there's a big crowd, there must be like about a hundred kids sitting on the pavement, standing up, and no phones, Every, like, everyone's like sitting in circles talking, people, it's like... Tugging at their fringes. But that's like, there was actual, and I realise there are still communities being formed, but they're just being formed online and everything. But it did really strike me of like, that, you know, how quickly things have changed and the way that those where the communities form now I mean you just I imagine if I you know hung out at the front of a gig similar to that today you know you'd see everybody would, would be staring at their phones and you wouldn't see I mean people probably like became friends and hooked up and stuff in, in, in those kind of situations where it's now I wonder if people are that well I, I hope so and I do find my lugubrious kind of almost 50-year-old brain absolutely going to that point. You know, if I mm. see a kid on a bus reading a book, I almost want to weep and, yeah, yeah. and, and hug them. I yeah. don't. <laughs> uh, so at shows, and, and particularly when I'm over there with, with Ruby, I just make sure that I, if not engage people in conversation, then just be the, mm. uh, the person without their head buried. You'll experience it, it soon enough about with that possible lack of face-to-face -face communication or, or a life free of um, devices being a main mode of, mode of communication that people do hook up and they do meet up. I mean, maybe I'm, uh, I'm being quixotic about this, but I think it does happen. I yeah. just noticed that when I go, and only through my own kid, who's 17 and a half, she's right in the, in the flippin' zeitgeist. Yeah. And she's got a great bunch of mates. Yeah, yeah. Um, some prats and some are just gorgeous and, yeah. and, and lovely and if I see them and they're kind of playing on the phones then I go oh Christ what's happening and I want to get in the middle of it and say hey let's talk about poetry yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm wondering what the comparison was to when I was a teenager mm. and what my parents would, would notice about the way that we TV maybe yeah, I, 
I know they were horrified about drug stuff, but I'm not sure it's... My parents were, they probably should have been. <laughs> Everything's worked out. <laughs> Everything's worked out all right. Let's, um, let's talk music. Did you bring... Um, people who listen to this podcast will know that it, it started off this idea of, like, you know, revealing your 25 most played songs I like that iTunes, which, yeah. Because I just discovered, I didn't even... For, for years I used iTunes to store music and never realised that this thing existed and one day I just stumbled upon this playlist and it shows you 25 most played and the shit that came up is really it's quite confronting sometimes to see it seems a little dated I, I checked that before <laughs> leaving the apartment today and it was songs that Ruby used to listen to to go mm. to sleep when she was still here which is a yeah, long time ago yeah. and uh, or not you know maybe Subconsciously, that's what I'm listening to before I go to bed. Yeah. Uh, but what I, what I found recently, because I got um, a Spotify account because of this job I've got at Double J and needing to yeah. uh, listen to things for yeah. research. Yeah, totally. And yeah. Not everything I regard it as a library system, but the rule is if I listen to something and I like it, and I'll buy it yeah, but if yeah. I love something then I'll buy two copies and give one to a friend yeah, yeah. so currently residing in the broke file because I've <laughs> been exposed to, to so much through the through the job yeah and yeah. needing to break out of my little cycles because yeah, yeah. if it was my own show without a producer I'd just be playing NRBQ and, and Randy Newman songs and, mm. and, uh, and that'd be it yeah but when Ruby was out here. She said, "Oh, Dad, have you got a Spotify account?" I said, well, "Yeah, I do." And and she didn't register any surprise. I kind of wanted the two. I, I, I don't mind that she thinks of me as, as yeah, being yeah. somehow recalcitrant or just a, a, a luddite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I said, yeah, yeah. And um, I said, "Well, I'll, I'll join one and I'll, I'll step it up a bunch so you can listen to what you want to do and I listen to what I to, wanted to." Since she's gone home, if I need to look up something she'll inevitably be listening to something in New York and I can see what she's listening to. Yeah, right. <laughs> which I wrote to her and said, hey, we've got to, we've got to fix this because I, I don't spy on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, I don't, I don't yeah. look at your accounts and da, da, da. But it would be really interesting what was coming up and because there'd be a lot of um, uh, new hip-hop stuff that just yeah. I had no idea of. And like what kind of stuff? Oh, look, names are... Yeah. Mm, Triple X, Tentacion and... and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But... And more popular stuff in Kendrick and... Uh, which we'd, we'd listen to when we talk about it. But then we're in the car uh, a couple of months ago. Was, um, we were driving somewhere and, and um, sh- I, I said to her, well, let's just listen to records when we're in, in the car, you know, CDs. And, mm. and um, she said, all right, but in that way that, you know, that she wants to listen to something. And she, so she put on all these songs by the Strokes and I said, oh, well, you, you like this band, honey? And, and she went, yeah, this, this, is, this is my happy place. This is where I go to. And I said, you know you went on that first tour in 2001 you were in your bassinet and that was um, you were on tour like you, yeah. you, they, you met all those guys and, and, wow. uh, when, when you were a couple of months old and said yeah mum told me about it and um, that was that was kind of interesting and then she put on um, songs <laughs> by Sloan this, this great yeah, game, game and yeah. the Lars and, and um, yeah, awesome. wow. the Bangles and, and really great power pop stuff yeah. and, and I Anytime she did that, or if she put on, then she put on Exile on Main Street, and I had to turn to her, stop the car, and go, Are you my girlfriend? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but what I'd found in the, the 25 most played in, um, in iTunes was 
songs uh, apart from demos of my own but li- listening ones for, for shows coming up whether it was like a rock quiz tour or oh yeah, yeah. where you've had to learn stuff I've had to learn stuff yeah, yeah. which reminded me how much I hate learning stuff yeah learning lyrics yeah like learning scripts yeah difficult how do you learn lyrics um, say for example for the Beatles show I would so basically what I do is I just start with the first line and I sing that over and over and when I've got that I get to the second line and I start again and just do two lines and then when I've got the two lines done then I'll go three lines and when I've got the three lines done I've got four lines and basically just keep going back to the start but adding and that the next line every time I get it right and if I get it wrong then I just repeat it and that's pretty much discipline well I think it well I think that actually comes from learning learning scripts in school high school productions and theater background that's right yeah I mean I can remember you know hours spent sort of on my own in a room of the house just walking around in circles just reciting the lines and you you often would have to learn other people's lines too because mm-hmm. you need the prompt you need to know when your lines are coming out so it's not enough just to know yours you yeah. have to know others so just basically just going over and over in my head and you know checking putting it down and doing it that way <laughs> I reckon that when it comes to you know music or back then theatre or whatever I was whatever I loved or even you know when I used to play sports and stuff as a kid I feel like I always had to like work up a little bit harder than the other people that were naturally more kind of gifted you know like I don't have the ability to just pick up hear a song pick up a guitar and just go oh yeah play it sometimes people can do that you know yeah. I've had, I mean Paul Dempsey can do that you know some yeah, people yeah, some people can just he, he dyes his hair so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I've never had that ability ever I've, I've you know, I actually, I've got to qualify. I don't know if Paul dyes his hair. It's just, <laughs> it's just uh, my, my my um loving envy of, of him and other friends continues. <laughs> so and I've always kind of whenever I've had to do that stuff like the Beatles or do any kind of cover song, song I've talked to Josh Pipe about this as well because he thinks the same thing. Like I was still like oh, I'm I think I'm really good at doing me, <laughs> but. Ask me to do somebody else, and it's like I'm a baby, you know. Like I don't even know. It's, it doesn't just come naturally. Well, it, you recognise that's great, and if acknowledge that you, or regard that you have to work harder, then it's not this ephemeral. Uh, not ephemeral, I beg your pardon. I always misuse that word, but <laughs> this mystery that, that, yeah. that gets you down. Yeah, yeah. Um, when doing this. The tour I'm doing at the moment, going up by myself mm. and feeling exhilarated, but after everyone getting quite morbid up down to big come down. And um, I resolved today when reading this, this book about creation and, and um, being able to create about acknowledging that you've left something as well as being depleted of something. And for years and years, I just feel like I've been depleted of something. You know, you know I, that hey, I just tried to make love to 200 people and I'm here alone and, and yeah. um, I'm just throwing myself absolutely wholeheartedly into something into a project or into a performance or into a relationship mm. or into a friendship and then but somehow when you throw yourself into things whether it's particularly with performances you can find yourself just in this this yeah, yeah, yeah. crash at the end of it and then that's when all the damage happens and but, but when I hear you say that that you have to, have to work a little hard I, that brings me a lot of joy that you, that you acknowledge that yeah. and think, 
I'm the hard working guy. And I think that's a, it's maybe a little cynical, but that's what an audience will see in you and, and mm. what people who like your music will feel. That guy works hard. Mm. It's really quite beautiful, all those bloody singings. <laughs> Singers, the angels that just opened their mouth and fuck <laughs> them. Yeah. What's a, what's the song we can talk about? Tim? Fuck. <laughs> my, my kind of go-to is, uh, particularly at the moment, is is um, country folk singers, or it's um, John Prine or yeah, cool. Nelson, that's Sturgill Simpson, and um, over this last summer, just riding around a lot on the east coast and. And listening to a lot of real contemporary country, like Brad Paisley. And, oh, wow. And, uh, a lot of Dwight Yoakam. Uh, I guess he's not as contemporary, but... Um, what does contemporary country sound like? <laughs> it's really shiny. Yeah. Mm. It's not in the... Um, like, compared to the States, in Australia, it's not part of just the general background. No. I'm sure if you lived in America, you would probably hear a lot of it without making any effort to... Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's a really good point. It, doesn't seem as if it's in just in the vernacular yeah. in Australia, but when travelling in the States and going back there in a couple of months and then yeah, start heading down south and it's it's just there. Mm. And uh, I just was attracted to honky tonk <laughs> music and wanted to get into that those rhythms and that playing and that, that harmony and uh, I'll speak to old mate Shane Nicholson about it and I'd still like to uh, to knock something together at his studio and yeah, his, the stuff that he produces himself sounds really good. Yeah, he's yeah. He's, he's a wonderful fellow and uh, very smart and instinctive. And then hanging around with Billy Chambers and Catherine Brett and, and singing with those guys and, and yeah. really enjoying it. Because of the wanting just to, to get out and play as much as possible, rough as guts but with some with some, some quality and, and I just found myself just being drawn so much to, to country music mm. and... Um, the discipline of it because with the way I write I write too many lyrics and and, and a little bit uh, portentous and a little pretentious with, with lyric writing because that appeals to my sense of humour and mm. I wanted to rein all that back in and, and mm. write it with a bit more precision and I think that's after writing the book in the past couple of years and working with editors but then um, this is somehow getting to around to my point about what's something that I've been listening to it and there's this song by Suzanne Vega called Anniversary. It's from a record that she made called Beauty and Crime in about the mid-2000s.
wishes, I was asked to do a show for <clears throat> Double J on New York, and, and I just gotten back from New York and seen Ruby, and I was kind of, I've got a bit of a love-hate relationship with that town because of that relationship. Right. And I went to the encyclopedia, which is my word for a uh, computer search, and, <laughs> and it was songs about New York, and of course there's, there's six million of them. Oh, okay. I'd even written a song of my, myself, which I haven't recorded yet, about I'm never going to write a song about New York. Yeah, yeah. And this song called Anniversary by Susan Baker, it's the last track on a record, and it's about September the 11th. And right. she's walking around her town of, of New York and, and on today. And yeah. today when you and I are talking, it's September 11th. And if I dissected it, I, I don't think it's particularly brilliant. That's a brave subject to... Well, she, she, she never mentions it by name. And coincidentally, there's a, there's a Loud Wainwright song, um, similar subject. And he's, a, he's a, typically a little more uh, uh, rambunctious about it. But this song of Suzanne Vegas, and then her brother died on the same day, but a couple of years later. And so this day is just so loaded for her, and she's, she's just describing walking around in <clears throat> New York. Why it got, it got extra traction for her, I knew, I knew that she was uh, touring um, this year in Australia, and uh, I heard, uh, I was watching a morning um, news program, I was like, you know, on tour and you. My mate Stewie Speed and I had this little code that you knew you were on the road too long or uh, when when you started feeling really sobbily romantic about Carrie Ann Kennelly <laughs> in the morning. Carrie Ann, who only met with Tex and her mind has kept us so far away from it. Um, but you, you, you get... I'm yeah. not talking am, well amorously short, but also get very weepy yeah, when yeah. Carrie Ann comes on and you, you know... <laughs> You're right. Everything, everything's going to be okay. <laughs> and so this morning, program they said, oh, "We've got Suzanne Vega. She's the girl that sings Luca and Tom's Diner." And I thought, "Oh well." So, in contemporary thinking, I beg your pardon. In, for people who aren't familiar with Suzanne Vega's immense uh, catalogue, yeah, yeah. she's just that woman. Right. Some Luca, some yeah, yeah. Tom's Diner got remixed songs from thirty years ago, and I thought, "I like this." songwriter so much more because she she's got to go out knowing that yeah um, that she's got a very small core of people who are very interested in not very small she's very successful to yeah. artists and recording us but uh she's known for something that she did on a first record or second mm. record 30 years ago mm. i don't know why i felt some kind of <laughs> kinship there, but yeah i can feel the same the same thing yeah yeah do you feel that I do. I'm surprised by that. Well, just be... Yeah, well, I mean... Well, the most commercially successful record I put out was the first Gemini one. And wrote all the songs that I wrote as a teenager. <laughs> now, I don't think it's the best thing that I've oh, done. I don't either. But, um, but it is, you know... Um, do you think that's an Australian... I'll qualify the question, but or expand upon it. Um, one, Australians are the loudest people at quiet shows <laughs> with, so without true. a doubt yeah. it's a combative thing and, yeah it's weird isn't it not, all, not always not all the time but there's just no um, bit of land or sea on the earth where an audience is more intent on being combatively talking yeah that's their prerogatives they pay money they're there it's all their world to share whatever but 
also um, for a reason I'm yet to kind of ascertain and I'm not talking completely self-reflexively about this or but that, that F. Scott Fitzgerald quote there are no second acts in American lives uh, Americans allow for second acts yeah. Australians are very uh, keen maybe it's in a, a certain strata of the listening audience whatever, but the your that's what you're known for and that's where you mm. should forever be mm. Kev Mitchell front of Jebediah 1997 bang that's yeah, it yeah yeah and Timmy Rogers you know what Hi fi way early day dinner like that. Yeah. Which well, really can. in the scheme of things, fucking thank, yeah. thank the good Lord and all her works for that. Yeah. Because it's given us a life. Absolutely. Yeah. However <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean I've talked about this with people before and um I get the sense that in America and the same thing happens in England as well, that they've got such pride in their musical history that Australia doesn't seem to have the same kind of thing. Like, the, I, like you can see, I mean, Paul Kelly is probably an example here that's kind of feels like he's kind of reached that. Well, there was the first time I met Paul, who I believe is doing rather well at the moment, <laughs> was when he asked me to do a tour with him in about 1997, 98, and yeah. with Vicar and Linda, and just he and Spence came and played a little bit and we were playing just little clubs yeah but that is a almost an, an American European like example of mm. uh, of an artist and, and uh, extremely env- envious of it and as a as he's a mate of mine I'm choosing to not um, see that as a, a model for the way how to do things but no. just be very very happy for a friend yeah. and, and um and someone who's deserving of it. Yeah, absolutely. I think the era that the band I'm in came up and um, was this period of music where we were given, offered everything, but we chose to shrug because it, I guess the, the style at the time was to <laughs> look at your shoes. When yeah. I know within my own band, we were really am- ambitious and... and Work from the start or was that something that... No. No, around, um, around second and third records, we were really ambitious, but to exhibit that that amb- ambition was hated mm. and just embarrassed about that. Mm. However, a little glad because, look, as with anything to do with myself and music, I'd, I'd love to be able to things to be a little easier, but however, they're very easy compared to the other 450 men and women who yeah. are who live in my suburb and uh, want, to be doing, want to be in the position I am. Also, I absolutely know that if anything had been any different... I actually, a lady, I was picking up a motorbike in uh, Richmond yesterday and a lady came and washed um, the front uh, windscreen of my car and, yeah. and um, wound down and gave us some bucks and she said, hey, you're that bloke from you and mine. I said, yeah, yeah, how you going? What's your name? And, and Susanna, I think it was her name, and uh, young Tim. And, and she said, oh, I was just talking to this bloke who I watched his window the other day and, and, and he had this really big song in America oh what was the song and she went off thinking and I thought life's going to change and, yeah. <laughs> and she asked me just point blank you know, why didn't you guys ever make it in America which I thought was odd that we were at this yeah, crossroads yeah. and uh, John, Johnson Street and yeah. Punt Road and I just said to her Look, I don't think I'd be here if we, we were 
Yeah. Said, what do you mean? I said, I would have drunk myself to death. Or, you know, we, I would have been able to have exposure to so much blow. And just, I'm a really flaky character. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have the intestinal fortitude to it. But I was up in Byron with Bernie uh, Fanning the other week. And, and a very different level of things. But he's a really, really, really successful guy. Yeah. But he's got the intestinal fortitude to handle it. And yeah. I absolutely knew I didn't. Yeah. And don't. Yeah. And never will. Yeah. And so thank Thank fuck it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing more of that. It was enough. Yeah. You know, I managed to fuck that up and fuck and really ruin relationships and and friendships. Thankfully, not with my bandmates, but unfortunately, with being an ambitious person in many respects, that that feeling comes up of of envy. Envy's the 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 worst one. Jealousy. Yeah. Envy, but you realize that that, okay, that's going to happen, but. Mm. It's absolutely happened for a reason. Mm. Absolutely happened for a reason. Just mm. even in, um, I guess, about '98, I was living in Los Angeles and, and kind of being courted around, knowing that we weren't really the a priority for a record label like Warner Bros. Yeah. But we were, we were kind of we let ourselves be taken into that whole system. I think record labels. when we start off and and, and uh, you know. Um, Cousin Creek gave us a go, Timberyard gave us a go, um, the, anyone who gave us a go in, in the very early 90s, uh, that we could have absolutely just gone with that and, and those people were generous and, mm. and, and, but we let ourselves be want more and more and more, yeah. which is probably uh, more about my ego than anything. And then it's suddenly seven years later and we're going to these out for lunch with all the Warner Brothers America people and, and um, but at that time Andy, Russ and I weren't even hanging out really mm. and there was no big schism it was just we just weren't the the band that was supposed to, to be or mm. the performers you supposed to be and, and um, really thank fuck because yeah. what, what I spoke about that was that I remember that time being really miserable yeah I'm just completely adrift. This isn't where I'm supposed yeah. to be. Yeah. And if I went off and wrote with these professional songwriters and producers, was that the kind of stuff that you were being encouraged to? The the one that uh, even my bandmates will confirm. Uh, I was asked to go to fly to England that weekend and write with Ray Davies. Oh my god! And now that would have to be. Yeah, a fairly surreal kind of yeah thing to yeah they said coming right with Ray I wasn't a very well formed person by that stage but something stank about it I thought hang on Ray just doesn't want to write with a 28 year old kid from Australia I thought no there this is the weekend I got to go and hang out with Ray and, and for it to be uncomfortable and then when I get back they say well nothing came of it let's go off and write with this professional songwriter. Uh, it was when we were making our fourth record. So Ali Daly went right. kind of well. And, oh, maybe we were mixing Ali Daly next to Snoop Dogg at that. <laughs> Do you know that story? No. We, had, we mixed Ali Daly in the, in the studio and Snoop Dogg was under some kind of house arrest situation in the was same studio. Yeah, out in the valley. It, it wasn't a big studio either. So be out in the basketball court and... The crew. Impressive looking human. Yeah, right. Oh, handsome fuck. Yeah. Is he taller than you? 
From memory, yeah. 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 Okay. I just sniffed something was up and I thought, well... There were a couple of bands around the time... Because there was, there was talk that Spielberg was doing a series with Supergrass and mm. um, a lot of kind of power well, pop sounds, bands, a yeah. couple of fringes. I thought, oh, we've been pushed into somewhere and, and if we didn't allow ourselves to be dragged that way, we'd got some good stories out of it. Yeah. None of which I'm telling you. <laughs> that they need sort of clarification with uh, with Russ and Andy that they're really good at remembering yeah, yeah. stuff around them. Yeah. But my partner said a little while after we met, gee, you really know how to live in the moment. And I said, that's quite a, mm. a ritualistic statement, I guess. Um, don't yeah. even think I know. But I took it as a, a great yeah, compliment. Yeah, yeah. And I think that I wasn't living through things for and regarding them for posterity it was mm. just I'm going to and it was whether it was a can of Tecate in Mexico City or or, um, or some other yeah yeah, yeah. lascivious yeah. experience so the years of big jabs sort of between 96 and 02 the house the house in days 96 days though yeah I reckon there was a lot of just living in the moment <laughs> You know, and not, uh, and yeah, sometimes I kind of look back and think, oh, we, should, we probably should have been more ambitious. I don't remember ever kind of fantasizing about making a record or anything. I fantasize a lot about playing gigs, yeah. being on stage, yeah. playing shows, being part of that world that I was starting to view, you know. I don't remember ever going, oh, I can't wait to get in the studio and really sink my teeth into that. I did. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just want a sack load of blow and <laughs> just crates of whiskey and yeah. just get really fucked up and <laughs> and then regret it and have a fight and then, you know, then make deeper records and get, get really fucking out there, you know, and, <laughs> and then regret it and scrap it all, burn the tanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole yeah. lock, sock and barrel, yeah. I want to absolutely... Make a record in the Caribbean and... Well, it's interesting you should say that because after we made the fourth record, I'd just gotten married, my wife was pregnant, and we arranged to, can't remember what label we signed on in the States then, but they said, oh, we want to you to work with this producer, Ed Buller. And he'd oh, done yeah. some stuff with Suede and thought, oh, well, okay, if that's the guy you want. And then a couple of days later, I got a call from a guy called Terry Manning, direct phone line to my house at yeah, the time. Yeah. Uh, hello Tim, Terry Manning here. Uh, Terry fucking Manning, alright, Led Zeppelin 3, da 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 da. He's Lenny Kravitz's best mate. I've slept in Lenny Kravitz's bed, I'll tell you. I'll tell you that story. No. A lot of silk. At Rick Rubin's house, yeah, yeah. But um, <laughs> Terry Manning said, Tim, I've listened to the demos, this is, this is what I want to work on. Guys, come, you come to my studio in the Caribbean. And we'll make the record. And I had to tell him on the phone, Terry, we just said yes to it, working with Ed Buller, who subsequently ditched us for the Super Jesus. So it's a double, really? double whammy. Wow. That we didn't have a good time working with Ed. He and I just didn't get on. Yeah. And so and which record was that? Was that Tress Me Slow? Tress Me Slow, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we eventually made it with uh, Cliff Norell, who was excellent and a really fun guy but we also found a really good speed dealer in Sydney so <laughs> that's great sound record but Terry yeah I, I like it too but so making a record in the Caribbean it was there yeah yeah fuck. but we, 
we felt that we said yes to someone and couldn't say no. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's principles. They're important. Yeah. <laughs> right? They are. I've, they have to be. I haven't, uh, haven't been at the Caribbean before oh, or subsequently. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just remember hearing about the Happy Mondays. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and then that's my go-to kind of hedonistic story of a band. I was writing um, songs for that same record and we were in England uh, we had a couple of weeks off from a tour and we were in Bath Forward in the the West Country and I was sitting out just uh, having a cigarette on the balcony and and looked down and I noticed this guy with this very familiar shuffle walking up the street up the cobblestone street because there was a pub just next to us an Irish pub but nothing for it wasn't in in town it was out of town and as it came closer it was Sean Ryder yeah (laughs) and with headphones on yeah. and what he seemed to be scribbling down lyrics no so way. he must have been writing lyrics for if I'm getting the timing right for the first or second Black Grape record yeah right but yeah the Happy Mondays in uh, the Caribbean Oof. oh man have you heard the story that David Alvar tells about uh, making the Gorillas, making the Gorillas record where um, he got Sean Ryder in to sing uh, the song was called um the song's called Dare, I think, like, but like, it, it's like D dot R, A dot R. Anyway, um, it was a single, I think it was like the second single off that record. Um, so he gets Sean right into the studio to sing his parts, but, and the song is called um, It's There. It's like, so he gets to the It's There bits and <coughs> Sean Ryder sings it, It's There. And, you know, Dan's like, no, 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 like, it's, yeah, it sounds like you're saying it's there, like, there, you got to say there. And he's like, yeah, no worries, like, it's there. You know, this happened over and over. It's just, and then eventually that was just like, oh, fuck it, yeah, that's fine. We'll call, we'll change the name of the song. <laughs> just the, the uh, Alban connection. Um, my favourite David Lane moment know, yeah. was when watching Graham Coxon of Blur teaching him how to yeah, play yeah. Alone Again or by Love backstage at uh, a gig when Graham was putting out a couple of records of ours. Yes, yeah. He's just a really, really good fella yeah yeah Coxon I haven't spent any time with Damon but they um, really really good fella mm. and I think we went into complete cheeky mode around that stage because I think he was trying to look after himself and, and if someone's like that around us you know I mean, you, you've toured with us we're pretty lightweight but we so I just can't help but ramp up the kind of ooh I'm going to be really <laughs> naughty <laughs> <laughs> I think being in touring in England and kids and uh, boys and girls and they'd really want to hang out when you're touring England it was just like hanging out was a big thing and yeah, people right. would just give you a lot of a lot of blow a lot of respect yeah. just, just to hang out mm. and I've got a pretty archaic view I guess of, of, of England of Great Britain but I think it's pretty can often be a little um inclement living in this country and, yeah, and yeah. rock and roll's like the the great escape, you know. Yeah, you heard yeah. that story about Liam Gallagher fixing up Davy at Nick Sester's apartment when Nick was still <laughs> living in St Kilda and going, You know where there's no fucking great Australian buttons, but yes. you know where you know, it's the fucking sun. Yeah. You wanna you'll be down the beach with your fucking bird. Yeah, yeah. You don't wanna be you know, fuck that's why there's no great Australian bands yeah. and so Davy says, What about the easy beats? And you go, Fucking easy beats, fucking <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, didn't he say something like um you know, like in England, you know, we're all because the weather centers are all inside running mega tunes. <laughs> right, mega tunes, you know, like, you know, us. <laughs> yeah, he said, it was like the, 
He made a list of the in British Beatles, Stones, Oasis. Yeah. Pistols. Who? He's I mean, he just he sounds like such a. Have you met him yet? No, I mean, God, I, yeah. It's just pure, pure, just entertainment. Where that, that does it come from? I mean, what? Is he just like grown up, just hanging out with lads and just where it's just part of the culture, just constantly just be talking, talking shit all the time? Was, well, when I mean, the the we didn't have a, it was a couple of weeks that we had with him, and subsequently met up, and it's always it's always been really funny. He's, he's a lot more tender than people would realise from just reading interviews. Yeah, he's, he's just he's just got the the stare, and he's just really fucking handsome, and it's got. Yeah. Speaking in present company, but the being in his presence and he knows his power. It's someone yeah. who absolutely knows their power over yeah. the room, and uh, he's not ingenerous. He's, no. It was so those guys were so gorgeous to us. And yeah, yeah, lovely. But then we went on tour the next year, I think, through Europe with Rocket from the Crypt, and Rocket from the Crypt were probably bigger heroes of ours. And, yeah. um, but similarly, if you just you you listen and you don't bugger up and uh, and sort of wandering through Paris with Rock from the Crib uh, and those guys you know they're so so just the, 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 like gang yeah, yeah, yeah. you know wandering the back streets of Paris looking for um, a bar thing I'm, I'm in the coolest company cool, yeah, and yeah. so being out with with uh, Nolan Lamb and and, um, and their fellas because their crew were uh, so generous to us you know even to the point of saying you know anything breaks fucking down we've got you know what do they refer to Noel at the moment you know, we've got the, the message from the colonel or <laughs> you know, anything you want mate anything yeah. you want yeah yeah there you go yeah that's cool <laughs> are there any other songs you want to talk about I had this uh, a vision when I was listening to you talking to Luke uh, Luke Borden and of the months I spent only listening to, to Sorrow. Yeah, right, yeah. Well, I drive out in the night, never come back in a matter of fright. Stay out longer while I can, picking fossils in the sand. I admire all the games, another asshole lights the flame, rusty clotheslines in the sun. Noise control, I've sunk in eyes We smile, the greatest red and smile No one to complain Red and in chrome and gore, it's all the same Enthusiastic, funny, and really inclusive. You know, yeah, yeah. I think with I went up to um, to play um, 
with Hockey Dad to sing a song. Oh, right. Him. At Splendor? Mm. Yeah, I heard about that. Which is a real surprise. That Another thing. band that sounds like, you know, you know similar to Bonsai, that sounds like they, a band that sounds like they would have fitted in completely in the 90s are like happening now and the kids are going nuts for it. So they should. They're, yeah. they're, they're real joyous yeah. and really good songs, performers, singing, just they got a lot I really love those guys and when I wrote to them and said hey I believe you do a version of a song of ours it's starting to make me like the song again and, and um, what song? Uh, they did Triple Snakes okay and it's, it's a written version it's fucking unreal uh, was that for like like a version or something? don't know it wasn't for like a version I think it was for a record okay uh, for a compilation record but and thank god I, I Zach wrote back and said, "Yeah, hey, thanks, Uncle Tim. That's great. You know, our dads are really big fans." And, <laughs> uh, which yeah. absolutely makes sense. Yeah, I think I've told someone that. And they went, "Oh, that must have been better." Things like, "No, it makes oh, sense." Man. Makes, yeah, totally. That's happening to me now, like more, more and more all the time. I played this. I did this thing. I, I, but uh, I uh, judged a uh, talent co- contest at a high school close to where I live and um, it was an awesome day and watching all these people get up and sing songs and stuff and, and there was the, you know, it, was, it was really good fun and at the end of it and, and then of course I played a couple, just a couple of songs at the end as the uh, special <laughs> guest and I was packing up my stuff and this group of three teenage girls come over and uh, you know hi um, and one says oh you know my dad is a really huge fan and I was like oh that's great and then she just started crying <laughs> very emotional I don't know if it's like a window into the teenage, the teenage years of girls that I've got to look forward to, but yeah, she was just like, that's a huge fan, and then burst down to tears. Gorgeous. Yeah, it was really, it was beautiful. It was, it was, you know, and I obviously, you know, felt so much for her, but you know, I was also not quite sure how to kind of respond, but no. Um, but yeah, I could offer to go to the Lamington store. Yeah. <laughs> If it was a school fight. <laughs> when when it to Splendor, because I was doing um, another tour at the time and just flew up for the day. And anyway, arranged to meet them, the dads, hockey granddad here, uh, arranged to meet the dads at their band room. And, and on the way from where I got dropped off to their band room, ran into uh, the guitarist and Amel and the Sniffers and then uh, um, Danny and the Duran Rats and, and um, yeah. a bunch of other folks. And it was really beautiful. Yeah. It, it was really fun. And I was pretty nervous because oh, let's bring on old hockey granddad to sing a song uh, with them and didn't kind of know what to expect. But gee, yeah. there was a good feeling around yeah. it. And, um, what did you sing? Did Pearl Sneakers. Yeah, right. Yeah. And yeah. unfortunately, Zach's guitar kept cutting out. And, oh, no. Um, wasn't the greatest of performances, but... I really liked being with them and meeting their friends and yeah. but coming into it as an older gentleman sat very very comfortable because yeah. really young just wanted them to have a good time yeah yeah and the avuncular aspect of it was you know, genuine just look mm. around and think I love singing you know I, fuck that's that person from that band yeah, yeah. I ran the, the um, girls from Camp Copen airport last year it was in Adelaide airport and they'd played the Grace Emily and I knew I knew them, really big fan, and yeah. 
I saw them checking in at Adelaide Airport and I was, I was, I wasn't coming down, I was swooping down, right. you know, we'd had a big night number four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck airports. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the lighting. Oh, Any kind of anxiety no, you've got. No. Just, and it's, it just feels like there's always bands at airports now. Always. It's, airports are full of bands and sporting teams. They used to be fucking at, at, at petrol stations. Yeah. <laughs> but I approached Georgia and, and said, oh, I'm a really fucking good friend there. And she went, oh, thanks, mate. And, yeah. and then went, Dave and I went to the bar and I said, God, I get nervous in that situation yeah, because yeah. you see people that you like. And then I um, uh, went inside and they uh, came to the bar and saw Sarah Drummer walk by and went, hey, you know, let me buy you a drink. And, and because Sarah went, yeah, I'll have a beer. And, and yeah. um, uh, uh, Georgia and Kelly said, no, we'll have a coffee. And I said, yeah, let me get it. And being oh, Uncle Tim, without being too much of a creep about it or whatever, just... It was nice being in the company of other performers, other yeah. rock and musicians, you know, and um, other stuff I do. It's it's nice to feel like when you're with another band or a, or a singer songwriter or a drummer, mm. someone who plays, it's like, because mm. yeah. musicians are funnier. <laughs> what do you think? That's an open discussion. There's a difference, I guess, between like somebody who, you know, writes jokes, and somebody who's just. Softens can be funny without even trying, you know, without even realizing it, mm. without making any effort. And yeah, absolutely, lots of you know, lots of musicians are fucking hilarious. But would they be able to do stand up? Probably not, <laughs> because all of a sudden then it's like, That's a good point. Yeah. you know, because then you're putting that into this distilling of yeah, performances, you know, and so it probably doesn't work. But, yeah. You're the first person is it's. And an ongoing little flick of mind thinking. Yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah, to distill that into, and being in the company of um, actors or uh, comedians, actors slash comedians slash circus performers, and I guess that they're collating information generously, not necessarily being nefarious and kind of magpie shit about it, but and then they do put it into their performance. Mm.